Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. Good morning. Morning. As the Holy Spirit fills the space in each of us, let us join our hearts. Dear God, we pray that the next time a friend grabs us and pulls us in for a hug, we actually take the time to appreciate the gift of their embrace. We pray that when school resumes and people are dropping kids off, they take the time to thank the staff for their amazing gift that they give to our community. We pray that the next time we're sitting in a crowded restaurant, we take the time to look around at the smiling faces, loud voices, and thank God for the gift of community. We pray that the next time we're standing in church and listening to voices of praise and worship, that we take a moment to thank God for the gift of congregation. We pray that the next time we see a person or situation that needs prayer, we hope to pray as passionately and fervently as we have these past few weeks. We pray that when we are at the grocery store, that we take a moment to thank God that he provides us with the necessities of life and the amazing people who work so hard to keep us supplied. We pray that we never take that we never take a, for granted the ability to hop in the car and visit a friend, go to the mall, go to a gathering. Abba, we pray that we take the lessons and challenges of the past few weeks and create a new normal. Our goal is to pray more, love harder, and truly appreciate the daily abundance of blessings that were so easily overlooked just a mere few weeks ago. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. O burning mountain, O chosen sun, O perfect moon, O fathomless well, O unattainable height, O clearness beyond measure, O wisdom without end, O mercy without limit, O strength beyond resistance, O crown beyond all majesty, the humblest thing you created sings your praise. In the name of the Father who made us from water and the earth, and in the name of the Son who saves us in his death, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who sustains us in the life after Jesus' death. Amen. So this morning, I had an opportunity to see my breath. I took my dogs out for an early morning constitutional. And upon exhalation, there it was, 
generally we don't see this breath. And it's really peculiar in this time, we're asked to not breathe on one another. We're asked to go to such an extent that we put a cover over our face to prevent another from feeling our breath or experiencing our breath. The concern is there's something infectious and I want you to know there's something infectious in breath. Take one. That's good. And I want to pick up from where we left off last week in John chapter 20. We had just discovered that Mary had seen the Lord. She exclaimed, I have seen the Lord. And I want to move into the next part after that later on that day. This is verse 19. The disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered and stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting. Peace to you. Just as I, just as the Father sent me, I send you. So could the peace be the part that's infectious in Jesus' offering in that morning? Or is it in the next verse? And now I'm on verse 22. Then he took a deep breath. Do it with me. He took a deep breath and he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's infectious, but the infection for us today is the Holy Spirit. The infection of us breathing on one another is the love. So let's experiment for a second. Feel your breath on your hand. Remember the last time somebody's breath touched you? Maybe your child, maybe your parent, maybe your pet. Somebody has breathed on you and there's a tenderness in that breath. So in just a second, I'm gonna open all of your microphones and I'd like to invite you to capture in your breath and whisper out the name of loved ones you're not getting a chance to breathe on these days and you're unmuted and just whisper, Timmy, Jamie, Stephen, John, Mitchell, Dylan, Sonny, Barbara, Ellie, Evan, Tanya, I hear the babies and I breathe on the babies, all the children out there. Thank you for participating in this meditation and remember the tenderness in your breath. If you have somebody near you, breathe on them. Thank you. Good morning. Our first scripture reading is from the Old Testament, Genesis 2, verses 4b to 17. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, 
when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Our second reading is from the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter, verses 19 through 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Immediately following the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples. The way the Gospel of John tells it, the disciples are hiding for fear of the Jews in a locked room. So one of the unfortunate things we have to take seriously when we talk about this text from the Bible, especially uh, as it's told in the Gospel of John, is to consider its context uh, because so much anti-Semitism is derived from these kinds of statements. But back to the story, the disciples were there when Jesus was handed over to the religious authorities and the government authorities the Thursday before. It wasn't just the Jews that they were afraid of. The religious authorities only had power to punish them insofar as the government would allow, and the disciples had a reason to be afraid. They had already heard that Jesus had returned, but only Mary Magdalene saw him. The disciples had previously run away, afraid. Now, what were they afraid of? They were afraid of the authorities, whether they were religious or political, because the disciples could end up on a cross too. But they also knew that Jesus had returned. So if Jesus had returned, why are they afraid? I think there's two answers to this question, why they were afraid after Jesus returned. The first is that their lives might have been at risk whether Jesus lived or died. But Jesus returning offered a possibility that the authorities would come after Jesus to kill him again if they could. The fact that someone survived an execution and a burial is astounding. And, Jesus, and with Jesus walking around, it might create a revolt with the temple priests and the Roman governor both possibly at risk of being taken down by Jesus and any insurrection that he could start. 
Jesus returning threatened the religion, it threatened the state, and those in authority had the most to lose. So why were they afraid? My first answer is because, again, the return of Jesus might make them more of a target than if Jesus were dead. The second issue here is that usually the story goes when someone comes back from the dead, they take revenge on someone and bring about something bad happening. That's how this goes in classical literature and in popular culture, typically. And in the Bible, there's actually a, the weird story of the Witch of Endor where this sort of happens, too. So when someone returns from the dead in literature, one might initially assume that if they have the power to the return, to return, they can do whatever they want to those who had crossed him before. Returning from the dead usually meant that those to blame had better watch out. This is to say that Jesus' resurrection initially presented itself to the men in the story, and interestingly, not to the women, but to the men, it presented a story of revenge both to those in authority and to the disciples, those who were at fault. On Easter, as we talked about last week, the disciples go home when the tomb is empty, but Mary stays behind and the women are faithful. The men in the story are not so faithful. So the disciples are, again, in fear that even if they got away and lay low for a couple days, if Jesus is dead, it's safe to go back to home in Galilee and start over. But if Jesus is alive, Jesus stands as a threat against the temple, the empire, and his followers. I hope you're following me about the revenge story here, because what happens then in the scripture is the opposite of how these stories usually go. Jesus arrives to them in the locked room and says, peace be with you. Peace be with you, I come in peace. Now, it's interesting he did not say shalom, a more common greeting. Shalom means welfare, or I wish you good living. But the word here in Greek is irene. Irene means peace, but it also means be at rest or be still, relax. Not so much as a command, but as a blessing. The word irene is a word sometimes used when you say goodbye to someone. That makes me think. So Jesus does not just come in and say, farewell and then takes revenge on them and uh i have the picture of them from the movie scarface on the screen some of you might have seen the movie scarface where al pacino says when they open the door say hello to my little friend and opens fire on the room at least that's the image i sort of have of what would normally happen but what we have happened in the scripture is the opposite of what is expected jesus says be at peace Relax. I take this as an indication that the disciples were afraid of what the resurrection meant to them. But in that moment, Jesus takes that fear and he diffuses it. Jesus takes their worry and lifts it from them. In this situation, the disciples stood in guilt before Jesus, saying, peace be with you. They all abandoned him. They all betrayed him. They may or may not have been able to stop Jesus from being crucified, and they might have been crucified with Jesus had they stayed, but nonetheless, they stood in guilt before the risen Christ. The God who's pushed out of the world on a cross, the God abandoned by his faithful followers, the God whose body was cared for by the women in the tomb, 
And remember, the tradition is that this God, this Jesus, goes to hell on Holy Saturday. This same Jesus stands before them, and they might not think that he's going to kill them, but they ought to be ashamed standing before the risen Christ. But what does Jesus do? He shows them his wounds. Jesus exposes his flesh to them. The very next story after this reading in the Gospel of John is Thomas in being invited to touch Jesus. Jesus presents himself as vulnerable. The disciples rejoice, and I can only imagine that part of it is because they thought this could go very differently. Jesus saves them in this moment when they accept the risen Christ. Jesus again says, Irene, peace, a second time, and he says, just as I have come to you through death and through hell and through the tomb, and in like manner, I send you. Then Jesus breathes on him forgiveness and says, receive the Holy Spirit, saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus is saving them, but now he is empowering them to save themselves and others. In this reading, I'm caught up in this language of breathing like Kathy focused on. Like right now during this pandemic, what would happen if someone walked in the door and breathed on you, right? Uh, or if you were in a locked room hiding from someone and that person came in and breathed on you. That's a little strange to begin with, but I think we have some new insight into this in this season of pandemic in 2020. I think, you would, I, think I would get a little nervous if someone came close to me uh, and breathed on me, and I'd say something like, you're entering Soviet airspace, and I'd back away or stand back. Now, in the book of Genesis, we should remember, God takes the wet mud of the earth, applies his lips to the ground, and breathes out, exhaling. The word in scripture is that God exhales ruach. Ruach means breath, and in this sense, the breath of God. And Adam, in Hebrew, hadam, the living throat, emerges from the mud. And Hadam breathes in and becomes the first man. The living throat arises as the depository of God's breath, this ruach. And in return, Adam exhales, and he is the first person to live. God gives the breath, the ruach. Hadam exhales, returning the ruach. Humans have been, ever since, inhaling living air and exhaling air ever since. The thing is that most of us just keep inhaling. We're given more, we gain more, we're blessed by God more, we're caught up in taking as much of this world that it has to offer, we're caught up in bringing as much as possible to ourselves that we keep inhaling, we keep bringing it, bringing it in. And if we don't give back, if we don't exhale, I imagine we puff up like a balloon and we explode. God gives and we return, ruach, exhaling, breath. So back to the Jesus story. Jesus breathes on them, exhaling on them. The risen Christ, which a few days before had no breath, 
and breathed his last on the cross, saying it is finished. This risen Christ now offers up his own breath to each of the disciples, going to each one of them, getting uncomfortably close, exhaling his breath on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, just as I have forgiven you, you must go from this place and do the work of forgiveness. Now, this isn't just about forgiveness. It's about the enactment of new life. It's about starting over. It's about pressing the reset button on the world. It's about the possibilities to behold in a world that is built on forgiveness rather than retribution and revenge. This world that pushed God out of the world is now empowered to build a new kingdom based not upon the rule of law or the lineage of king or feudal violence, but based upon forgiveness. And by this, real forgiveness. Because there is cheap forgiveness, and then there's deep forgiveness. And from the deep forgiveness, the power of Jesus is enacted in us as a new creation to do the work of building a world based upon forgiveness. A world interested in getting along and not in constant judgment of one another. A world where debts are forgiven. Do we not pray those same words in the Lord's Prayer every week? Forgive us our debts. And a world where not just personal debts, but national debts are forgiven. Perceived conflict about who owns what, whether it's attention or money or land. Forgiven. The, world's, the rules of this world, if we inhale that breath of Jesus and exhale forgiveness, are going to be new. They're going to be different. And we're not there yet, but we know where it has to go. We know that deep forgiveness is one that explores and dismantles the systemic evils that hold people down. Here I think of the way South Africa listened to each other and shared in the grief of horrible things done to one another after the apartheid. It was not cheap forgiveness, but painful and deep forgiveness. This deep forgiveness requires an investment in people for their well-being rather than their value or commodity in a world that prioritizes wealth and celebrates cruelty. The Christian walk is one that prioritizes the weak and the hungry. Now, sometimes when I speak like this, I always imagine someone's going to say, well, what can I do? I'm only one person. You are only one person. But if you are one person who has learned to hand your worries over to Jesus and has thrown your guilt into the river of blood, who has learned to carry your wounds vulnerably to display the depth of forgiveness, then you are not one person. You are then the body of Christ, the living throat that inhales and exhales. And that is what we do together in the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so be it. Let us pray. In the sanctuary, in the mighty firmament with voices and technology, we praise you, you who are the Alpha and the Omega, who 
is and was and who is to come. We lift up our thanksgiving and we shout glory to your name. You have filled us with joy by your miraculous resurrection from the dead. Yet our faith is often weak. We doubt your power. In your word, which endures, is every proof that we need. But we look to the evidence in this world rather than your revelation of the truth. We look for signs instead of listening to you. We know your law, but we look to other authorities. Where we have been faithless, forgive us. Where we have not trusted, forgive us. Where we have failed to listen, forgive us. Our eyes have not seen the resurrection of Jesus, but your Holy Spirit is our witness. Make that spirit present to us now. Strengthen us for the resistance we encounter as we tell your story and make us faithful to the task of spreading your word to the ends of the earth. We name for one another and for many, those who are in our hearts on this day with our tongues and in our hearts. Your vision is clearly given, but we cannot see because of the suffering they carry. May the wounded hands of Jesus reach out to those who are wounded in their body or their mind or their spirit. May the one who was hung on a cross be present to those who are facing their own death. May the peace that he gave to the disciples when he entered the locked room be the peace that is given to the troubled. Come and stand among us, Lord. Lend your ear and grant what we ask. For we pray in the name of him who loves us and freed us from our sins, Jesus Christ, the Lord, who taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.